Welcome to the podcast of Reformed Presbyterian Church of Beaumont, Texas. We are located at 4210 Crow Road in Beaumont. You can find us on the web for more information at rpcbmt.org. You can join us for Sunday services at 10.50 a.m. and at 5 p.m. each Lord's Day. On this recording, we're going to be continuing with our series in Acts, and we are considering the kingdom and what it means that Jesus Christ is King. Acts chapter 1. I almost said John. Acts chapter 1. And we'll read the entirety of the chapter and take the entirety of the chapter for our text. The first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up to heaven after he had by the Holy Spirit given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. To these he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of forty days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which, he said, you have heard of from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, Is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or epochs, which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. And after he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. They also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered the city, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. That is, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. These all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer, along with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. At this time... Peter stood up in the midst of the brethren. A gathering of about a hundred and twenty persons was there together and said, Brethren, the scripture had to be fulfilled which the Holy Spirit foretold by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested 
Jesus. For he was accounted among us and received his share in this ministry. Now, this man acquired a field with the price of his wickedness. And falling headlong, he burst open in the middle of... middle and all his intestines gushed out and it became known to all who were living in Jerusalem so that in their own language that field was called Hakel Dama that is field of blood for it is written in the book of Psalms let his homestead be made desolate and let no one dwell in it and let another man take his office therefore it is necessary that of the men who have accompanied us all the time that Jesus went in and out among us, beginning with the baptism of John until the day that he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they put forward two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justus, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, know the hearts of all men. Show which one of these, these two you have chosen to occupy this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they drew lots for them. And the lot fell to Matthias. And he was added to the eleven apostles. The grass withers and... The flower fades, but the word of the Lord remains forever. You likely have noticed since John chapter 18, and if you haven't, shame on you, or maybe shame on me, for not making it more clear, a turn, and we've been talking about the kingdom of Christ. The nature of the kingdom, the way the kingdom advances, the the manner in which it is conducted. We spoke a little bit of it last week. Uh, And so you've likely noticed that turn and, and you might be like the disciples. You might be wondering, okay, when are we going to get on with it, right? But you know... You know, you've said this to your children, you've said this to others. You know that a watched pot never boils. Well, the reality for the disciples is they are waiting. They're wondering when Christ's kingdom is going to restore to Israel the throne and the majesty and the earthly dominion and beauty that they had in mind. You get that here, just a a taste. And Jesus has to remind them again, that's not the way this kingdom is. That's not the way my kingdom operates. And he tells them, you just have to wait. Right? It's not for you to know. You have to wait. And so they're going to have to wait a few days more. The Spirit is going to be poured out upon them. And then they will see in fullness the reality of the nature of Christ's kingdom. And the book of Acts is a picture of that. The glory of Christ's kingdom as it goes forward in the world. And we're going to see it this morning in several ways. The way that that Christ's kingdom advances. We're going to talk, yes, once more about the kingdom of Christ. Because the kingdom of God 
is not like the kingdoms of this world in its expansion, in its nature, because it is, it is expanding not through wars, not through the military might, but through the declaration of the gospel. And so it's a spiritual kingdom that is throughout this world. And so we're going to look at the kingdom of Christ in, in five points this morning. Five points. First, we're going, to, we're going to go back to Luke. We're going to get a foretaste of Christ's kingdom so that you can see that it's not just coming out of thin air in the, in the book of Acts. We're going to see a foretaste of His kingdom. He tells us the nature of it there. We're going to see the ascension, of course, of our king. We're going to see the power of the kingdom. What is it that drives us? What is it that, that causes the church to be enabled to go about the business given to her by Christ? We're going to see the nations. Where do they fit in into the kingdom? The nations and the kingdom. And then we're going to see the language of the kingdom. The language of the kingdom. And so a foretaste, the ascension of the king, the power of the kingdom, the nations of the kingdom, and the language. Or you could even say the witnesses of the kingdom. You cannot forget Luke when you come to Acts. We're saying that the, the book of Acts is really the gospel of Luke volume 2. Right? That's the essence of Acts. Uh, Luke began to tell us all that Christ began to do and teach. And Acts is following up on His resurrection, his, now His ascension, with what Christ is doing. And so then Acts is the Acts of Jesus after His resurrection and ascension. It's, it's by His Spirit and it's, yes, by the, the use of the apostles, the means of their preaching. But it's the Acts of Jesus nonetheless. He's the one who sends the Spirit. And so we understand, we remember that in verse 1 He's pointing us back. In the first account, I composed Theophilus. In the first account is the gospel of Luke. And so you need to remember, when you talk about the kingdom, you talk about the king. And so, how did Jesus inaugurate? How did he set up? How did he go about declaring his kingdom? Well, you get that. Don't you? Very early on, Jesus began His public ministry by coming, by being baptized by John. And, and there we see Him anointed by the Spirit beyond measure. And then He's driven into the wilderness, isn't He? Now, most kings, when they take up their, their session, they are going about their duties. They do not go off into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. They put themselves forward, front and center. But no, Christ is driven into the wilderness where He is weakened, where He is brought low, where He is sustained only by the Spirit. And then He returns, doesn't He, to Galilee. And one of the first things He does is He goes right into the synagogue. They hand Him the scroll and He reads it. And what does He say? How does He declare the, the inauguration, the beginning, the, the welcome, if you will, into His kingdom? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Great. 
This is what we want. Our King anointed in full by the Spirit to overthrow Rome and to ride in. Is that what he says? No. No, his kingdom is not like the kingdoms of this world. He's not coming in on a white horse and overthrowing political powers in that way. No, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And so there you have it. The nature of Christ's kingdom. He's declaring it from his earliest preaching. And so then you note two things from, from Jesus' uh, Jesus' ministry in the Gospel of Luke. Firstly, you note that he was he was clothed with power, anointed with power, endowed with power. By the Holy Spirit. Of course, this is before He pours out His Spirit on the church. And so then, His resurrection, His ascension are a vindication of who He is. And Pentecost is going to be the fruit of His labors. It is the promise uh, of the church being made in the image of her suffering and glorified King. And so it's about Christ and what He is doing. But secondly... And, and more importantly to, to what we're discussing tonight, today, notice the very thing that Christ is empowered by the Spirit to do. What is Jesus going to do by the Spirit? He's going to preach the Word of God. He's going to proclaim the good news. And then at the end of the Gospel, right in Luke chapter 24, He tells His disciples that they're going to be empowered like Him to do the same thing that he's going to call them to do the same thing and so that's that's what our text today tells us that he he was doing speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God he was setting them at right letting them know the nature of it and sadly they still miss it they miss it. But by the end of the text, you will understand that they are starting to see. They're starting to get it. And so the good news of repentance, or the good news, the gospel that's in Isaiah, of Christ coming and declaring the repentance and forgiveness of sins, that's, that's the news of the kingdom. And that's what Christ was teaching the disciples. And, and they're still confused, right? They sheepishly say to Him, is it at this time that you're going to... We're still a little confused. What do you mean? Is it, is it now that you're going to restore the kingdom? So then Jesus, Jesus has to continue to teach them. And so if you'll notice, right, the beginning of Acts talks about the kingdom. Right? The opening verses of Acts. And then you get all the way to the end of Acts and what do you get? Well, it says this, Paul lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness 
and without hindrance. And what you need to notice as you look at Acts, as you consider it as the, the continuation of the work of Christ, you need to understand that the entire book is about Him building His kingdom. Right? It begins with and it ends with His kingdom. By opening and closing with instruction about the kingdom, Luke is telling us that this volume... Acts, or the Gospel of Luke, Volume 2, is about the advance and the progress of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of pardon, the kingdom of praise. And it's through, well, through the work of the Spirit poured out by Jesus. And so there you have it. You get the foretaste. Christ has always been about His kingdom. And He wants us to understand His kingdom because of what's coming. Right? What's coming? Well, the ascension. You get to verse 6. They ask the question. He tells them, It's not for you to know the times or the epochs which the Father has fixed by His own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be My witnesses both in Jerusalem in all Judea and Samaria, even to the remotest part of the earth. And as soon as He says this, He's just lifted up. And he's being taken away. Now think about this. He's been telling them about his kingdom. Telling them about the nature of his kingdom. And he's gone. Now if you know of a king who reigns and rules over his kingdom who is not visibly present. Let me know. Right? That's not the way that kingdoms work. Well, kingdoms of this world. Christ is not a kingdom like that. But you, you have to ask, why? Why did Jesus ascend? Why, while he was still talking, it's, it's as if he says, it says after he said these things, almost at the very, very end of earth. You know, you put the period right there, the full stop. And he's starting to be lifted up. Why? Why is his reign heavenly and invisible? Right? We say he's still the king. It's not as if he's dethroned. As a matter of fact, he's, he's ascended and he's now seated at the throne. He's ruling and reigning. Why in the world is Christ lifted up? Wouldn't it be easier? Don't you think it would be easier to believe that his reign is never ending if, well, you could see him? Right? Don't, don't you think that? Well, Acts is telling us what he continues to do and teach now after his ascension. So why his ascension? Well, because the ascension of Christ assures us that we don't mix up his kingdom. We don't turn it into kingdoms like kingdoms of this world. That, that it, the nature of His kingdom is not like other kingdoms. If, if Christ's kingdom is a spiritual kingdom and, and yet He were remaining in our sight, don't you think that people on earth would try to limit it to some geopolitical place? Right? His kingdom is throughout the entire world. But wherever his, wherever his throne is, people would flock and say, Okay, His kingdom's here. They would try to limit His kingdom. 
But his kingdom is not limited by geopolitical entities. As a matter of fact, it goes throughout all of them. And so he must ascend so that people don't try to limit him. That also that they don't try to fight, right? To expand his kingdom. You, you understand that his kingdom is not like the kingdoms of this world. And yet, yet his disciples, even we, want ease and, and comfort of an earthly kingdom, right? The, the, the children of Israel rejected God as the king and said, Give us someone we can see. So often we say, Lord, it would be so much easier if you were just here so that we could see. But God's reign has never been a reign of seeing. No, no, His kingdom, His, His reign has always been about hearing and believing and acting upon what He says. And so they were still confused up, up until the very last minute they were thinking the kingdom of God in terms of some earthly geopolitical takeover. And they couldn't seem to grasp the otherworldly nature of the kingdom he came to establish. They, they even though they heard him say before Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world, they had forgotten it. So listen to one man who says this. As long as he was pre- I think this is John Stott. Not 100% sure. As long as he was present... They could not resist seeking glory of the kingdom here and now. And in one sense, they were right. The kingdom is present where the king is present. It is glorious. Where the king is, there is his glory. So what does Peter say after his transfiguration, that vision of the king's glory? We should build a tabernacle of some sort of a memorial. No, Peter. What you just saw was not about this time or this place. It is the coming. And so our, it is coming rather. Our king then is present. Yes, he's present with his church through the power of his spirit. But he's nevertheless a heavenly king. And he, he rules, he rules through his word and by his Spirit. And so then they ask him, is it now you're going to restore it? And Jesus answers them in, in two ways. The most direct answer is not what he says. It's what he does. What does he do? Are you going to restore the kingdom now in some visible way? And he's taken up out of sight. No. My kingdom is a spiritual kingdom. And so he has suffered. And now he's ascended to glory. And his kingdom is now made like him in his suffering. And so we are to be led like he was. By the Spirit in his heavenly glory. And so then the king has ascended. And there they are standing looking up. And the two guys come alongside them. The angels. And say, why? Why are you staring up? What do you see up there? Why do they do that? Well, one, they encourage them, right? They encourage them. He will return. But it's not going to help you to just stand there and stare. He's given you a commission. Go forward. And how are they going to go forward? Well, they're going to go forward in the power of the kingdom. What is the power of 
the kingdom. Now this is going to be big in the eyes of Rome, right? The powers of kingdoms are their military might, their diplomacy. That's not our power. No, no, no. The power of our kingdom is unlike the power of this world. How do we see the power of this kingdom? Well, verse 5. For John baptized with water. But you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses. Right? There's no threat to Rome. You can't see the Spirit. They're not gathering weapons of warfare after the likes of this world. They're not getting chariots together and they're not gathering spears. No, the power of the kingdom of Christ is in the pouring out of the Spirit upon His church. Which is why all throughout the New Testament, right? Paul says, when I came to you, I didn't come with powerful, uh, with words of wisdom, but by the power of the Spirit. Which is why he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for throwing down uh, kingdoms. He'll tell us in 2 Corinthians. He told us in Ephesians. We heard it in Sunday school. Ephesians 6.12. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. No, His kingdom is powered by the Spirit. His kingdom is a spiritual kingdom. Not by might. Right? Zechariah tells us, not by might, uh, not by power, but by my Spirit says the Lord. And that's why Jesus says it's better for him to go. As long as he hasn't ascended, well, people will still be mistaking his kingdom, turning it into what it is not, trying to make it some chair in some place in this world. But his kingdom is throughout all the world. We'll see that in just a moment. And so then the Spirit is coming. He's going to open the eyes of, of those who, who, well, right now are still not seeing in fullness. He's going to open their tongues that they might proclaim and declare His praise. And so as Jesus was ministered, as He ministered in the power of the Spirit, so the apostles, excuse me, the apostles need the Spirit to do their work. So the church now... Is empowered only by the Spirit. Now, let's come back to why I'm hammering on this. Why do I keep coming back to the nature of the church being a spiritual thing? Well, because in our day there are so many who want to take the church and make it about the visible. And they try to give you gimmicks and shticks and say, if we could only reach people this way. If we can bring them in, well, through carnivals and, and all sorts of things. Those things aren't wrong in themselves, but they are not the power of God. The power of God is, well, we think it's extraordinary, and it is. But in the way that it manifests itself in the life of the church is very ordinary. Do you want to know the power of God this morning among you? You sang His Word. You prayed 
His Word. You heard His Word read. You're having it preached in your hearing now. You're about to see it in the supper. The power of God in His church is very ordinary. And that's how He's promised to bless and to work and to go forward in this world in the very ordinary means of grace. And so the Spirit empowers that which seems foolish to the world. You know the world thinks you're foolish for coming to listen to me on Sundays talk for 30, 35 minutes, sometimes 40. And if I really want to make you angry, closer to 50. They think you're foolish. But God has said it's His power. It's how He works. And... Beyond that, that power is not limited within these walls. The power of God works in us when His Spirit enables us to go forward and say to people, Christ is your hope. The world thinks that's foolishness too. And yet, that's the very ordinary way in which He works. Do you want to know how most people become believers and most people are brought to Christ? It's not through gimmicks or sticks. It's simply by someone saying, let me tell you about my church. Would you like to come? Because here we hear from Christ. And the Lord uses that which seems foolish. Nobody's going to want to come to church. And He brings people to Himself. And the Lord uses people who stammer and stumble and who are terrified to open their mouths just to simply say something like this. I know you're having a hard time and I know that you don't believe the way that I do, but I tell you, Christ, Christ can help even you. And you may think that you've fallen and failed, but, but the Lord uses His Word and He empowers it. By His Spirit. And so you have the power of the kingdom. It's not, it's not the things of this world. It's not military might. It's not cleverness of speech. It's not quick wit. It's not even having all the answers. It's simply the Spirit working in faithful servants. And He promises an inheritance like you wouldn't believe. He says to them... You will be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth. And so then they ask him the question and he tells them, my kingdom will fill this earth. It's not limited here. No, my kingdom will fill the earth. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and the remotest ends of the earth. And you see it throughout the book of Acts, don't you? They, they go further and further and further with the gospel. It's a, a testimony of the promise, providence of God in His plan of redemption. They say, are you going to restore it to Israel? Jesus says, stop thinking about these terms. Geopolitical. Don't think about this little land. Think about my inheritance. My kingdom. Do you think it's something that small? No. No, the inheritance of Christ is as the stars of the sky. The dust of the earth. It's the whole, whole earth. And so the kingdom of God is greater than all earthly kingdoms because His kingdom is throughout the world. 
It doesn't need it doesn't need boundaries and geopolitical space. It doesn't need anything other than people being faithful and witnesses throughout the world so that Jesus' kingdom reigns and rules in the midst of, of all earthly kingdoms. Christ said it this way, the kingdom of heaven is like a woman who took some yeast and worked it into dough and it went throughout the dough. All the nations are Christ's. All the world is His. Everything is under His reign and He rules in every place. Even those places that try to keep Him out. Even those places that try to establish themselves over and against Him. Christ's reign cannot be stopped. The gates of hell will not prevail. You also have to remember... As Luke writes this, they're powered by the Holy Spirit. Well, that's not a threat. It's not a threat. No one really believes that the Holy Spirit is a threat to them. And so Rome would see this and go, oh, okay, it's just another religious thing. We're fine. He's making an apology for or an apologetic, a defense of Christianity against false charges that it would overthrow Rome. Right? That's not... That's not what the kingdom of Christ is after. He doesn't care about just Rome. He wants to overthrow every nation. He wants to overthrow every land. And the Holy Spirit is a danger, just not in the way they expect. And so you have to remember that he's, he's saying that, that the kingdom of heaven is subversive to Rome, but not subversive because they're trying to overthrow it with weapons. Because it's disastrous, right? You know this. You think back through the history books. It's disastrous when men have forgotten that the kingdom of God is spiritual, right? When, when churches have raised up and tried to go to battle against nations. The Middle Ages, the Dark Ages, you understand that's disastrous. Gaining lands, but they're leaving the world void of the gospel. No, no, the church is not the state, and the state is not the church. There's only one who has the keys to the kingdom, that's the, the church. And so then, Christ is interested in the nations because they're His. But he's not interested in their rule because his rule overrules theirs through his people. And so we've already said it. We're, we're citizens of two kingdoms. Our allegiance is first and foremost to Christ. But we are the best citizens. Or you ought to be the best citizens here in Beaumont, in Lumberton, in, in Silsby, Orange, wherever you, you hail from. You ought to be the best citizen. Because your king, your king overthrew your heart. And he tells you that for his reign to be complete, that, that you must be a part of his kingdom in peace and in righteousness, not in riot and in rebe rebellion. And so he uses language, right? That brings us to the language of the kingdom. Because seditious language would have brought down the hand of Rome just like that. Luke is careful not to use seditious language. 
He tells us the nature of Christ's kingdom in the language that he uses, right? Jesus, when he is about to ascend, he says, You will be my generals, my colonels, my lieutenants, admirals in this world, right? Well, no. No, that's not the language that's used. What's the language that's used? You are Witnesses. He tells us that in Luke 24. He tells us this now. You will be my witnesses throughout the world. The kingdom of Christ isn't by political power. It's not by political action committees. It's not by might. The kingdom of Christ is simply by people telling the good news. Now, no one has ever felt threatened by news. News just is, right? It is the truth. It is the facts being stated. And all that we are called to do is speak the truth. We are His witnesses, not by our doing, but by our witnessing of His doing. It's not for us to advance His kingdom by power. It's for us to see His kingdom advance by His Spirit through our participation, through our witness. They're not generals. The apostles are sent ones. They are disciples. They are witnesses. They have elders that come in, right? Elders are established. Deacons, servants. Those things are not threatening to the world. Except that they speak of a true kingdom. A kingdom that is over all. Kingdom. And so the language here is important. The kingdom is not spread through kingdom building operations and military might or diplomatic strategy. It is simply conquest, but not conquest like other kingdoms. The witnesses are sent to spread the kingdom through witnessing what Jesus has already done. And it's important that you tell The work of Christ from His Word. Yes, your testimony is good, right? That God has worked in me. He's changed me. I'm not what I was. I'm not what I'm going to be. But that's not the Gospel. That's what the Gospel has done in you. And so the kingdom is spread by declaring the Gospel. We go forward with a very, very set uh, standard. The faith once for all handed to us. And what is that? Well, you know 1 Corinthians 15. And again, it's foolishness to the world to think that we can say, well, Christ was incarnate. He lived a sinless life. He was killed. He was buried. He was raised. And now He's ascended. You, you tell that to the world and tell them that's the power of God. And they'll laugh you to scorn. But the kingdom of Christ comes this way. Those are the things that we hang our hat on. It's the Spirit who gives eyes to see and to hear the truth of His kingdom. It's no no mistake that Paul, Saul, was brought into the kingdom by being knocked off his horse and blinded. He couldn't see before he was blind. And then he was blinded and he could see. It's no mistake that God works in that way. That He works in ways that we can't necessarily fathom or we wouldn't put together. But Christ's kingdom 
is a powerful kingdom by His Spirit going forward through His witnesses. Not His generals, not not admirals, but through witnesses. And so why, why do I keep making such a big deal about the nature of the kingdom? Well, because in our day, there are churches who, who forget the mission of the kingdom. They forget the very thing to which we've been called. They think that, that the mission of the church is to redeem the culture. Well, no, people are redeemed. Cultures are changed by redeemed people. The mission of the church is to go forward with the gospel and the culture is changed. Not to focus on changing the culture. No, no, people are redeemed. The culture has changed. People forget the mission. And so they, they set up and they, they think that if we can only end poverty, if we, could only, if we could only increase literacy, if we could only make sure that everyone is educated in this way, well, those things are well and good. But here's the reality. You can be educated. You can have your belly filled. You can be wealthy. And still not be a part of the kingdom. And if you have everything in this life. But you do not have the kingdom of Christ. You have nothing. That's why I make a big deal about it. That's why I think we need to be certain and focused on the kingdom of Christ as we begin the gospel, or the gospel of Luke volume 2, the book of Acts, that we might be those who have our minds brought in. What is it that we are here for in this life? Yes, to glorify and enjoy Him forever, but how? You shall be my witnesses. You shall be those who are carrying forth the gospel Wherever you go, in your homes, that's your first priority, right? With your families, with your friends, wherever you go, we are to be about the kingdom of Christ because His kingdom is not like other kingdoms. You cannot seek exile from it in another country because it's there too. You can't run from it somewhere else because it's there too. So that His kingdom is everywhere. So that where we, where we go... It's there with us as His people. And so then, as we get into Acts, as we think about all that's here for us in Acts, you need to understand that Christ is setting out before us that His kingdom is spiritual. And that His kingdom is ultimate. And that His kingdom ought to occupy our hearts. Because as we'll see in the table... He died that it might be established on a more sure foundation than on types and shadows. And that it might go forward by the power of His resurrection. Let's go to Him in prayer. Almighty God, we give You thanks for Your Word. We give You thanks.